Hi, I'm Don B, and this is The Six. I want to thank you for joining us. This is our fourth installment. And if you haven't listened to the previous episodes, please make sure you go ahead and do so. And also, if you like what you hear, make sure you like and subscribe. We'll be coming out with content just about every other week. Today, we're going to be covering black identity. Each one of us in the six is a black male. However, each one of our stories are uniquely different. We all got here by way of X, Y, or Z. Today, we're going to be diving a little bit into that X, Y, and Z, and then also defining what it means to us to be black men and why each one of us have differences, even though we all look the same. The episode starts off with a brief history lesson as to how we all got here, and then we fast forward a little bit and talk about a recent study that really shows how different we actually all are as black people, even though we all look the same. We have distinct beliefs, ideals, and behaviors. And then we talk a little bit about, in a panel discussion, what all of that actually means to us. Hope you enjoy. The causation really comes from, you know, 14th, 15th century Europe, namely Portugal and Spain. Because of where they were in terms of geography, they're in a really advantageous location to kind of pull off what they pulled off. And really, our history started with their discovery, right? So once they finally discovered, like, you know, they, they could, you know, sail the, the, the ocean, they found, you know, Western Africa, and they started, you know, trading with Western Africans, you know, all the different goods that they had. But um, namely, what they started to do eventually was, you know, get slaves from there. They started bringing slaves over to their own country, like in the mid, mid 15th century. Not long after that, they started um, bringing back not just goods, but actually bringing back slaves with them. And then later on in that same century, 1492, the Spanish, uh, with Christopher Columbus, came and discovered the New World, which is uh, now Haiti and the Dominican Republic. So the, European, the, the Europeans, namely the Spanish and the Portuguese, had a lot of things that, that kind of worked in their advantage. They had coins, they had gold. They obviously, they had ships, but what really set them apart and helped them kind of overtake a lot of these areas that they discovered were the germs and the guns that they had. Um, they really kind of blazed the trail for exploration into the new world. And they, their justification for bringing these slaves over from Africa into the new world was kind of um, what they, their, their justification that they used was they referred back to Aristotle, who had this one um belief that some people are just made for subjugation some people are made to be slaves and some people are made to be masters and that was kind of how they justified it in their heads so this forced migration of africans into the new world in the 16th century um really started with the portuguese and the spanish so for the next three centuries literally from 1500 to 1800 you saw 12 million Africans shipped from Africa to the New World. Um, only 10 million of them made it. And of that 10 million, less than 400,000 were actually shipped to America. 
So that leaves us with more, with just about a little bit over 9 million American, 9 million Africans whose stories were untold. So hold on, Abe, hold on, hold on. Because I don't, I don't think a lot of people, uh, us as well as our audience realize what you just said, the amount of Africans that were shipped here and the amount that made it to America. Well, I mean, I, I think that most most of our audience, I mean, I, I'm speaking very broadly here, but, you know, coming coming from social studies in elementary school and high school, we were always under the impression that there were millions of black faces that were just that just came on here, that just came onto this land uh, to be sold into slavery, that there were millions. And you're saying that there were only 400,000. There were less than 400,000. That's a, I'm rounding that up. So the actual number is, I think, 389,000 Africans that actually made it to American land. The rest of them were shipped to South America and the islands and Central America. So according, this is according to the Transatlantic Slave Trade Database. So we have this untold story of about 9 million Africans. So they have, all have a different set of experiences, practices, and culture formation. And by and large, a lot of the blacks in this country, as you alluded to, Don, believe that they have the weight of history on their side and that, that enables them to invoke the guilt of the past, uh, the guilt of past racial deeds on, you know, the people who settled in America. And the really interesting part is, you know, the Massachusetts was the first British colony to actually legalize slavery. And that was in the mid 17th century. And if you fast forward to today, the Federal Reserve of Boston actually did a study, I believe in 2019, called The Color of Wealth, along with the Duke University. And what they did was they tried to compile as much information as they could to determine what the net worth of each different race was within Boston. So what they determined was um, the average white Bostonian averages has a net worth of $247,500. And then the average black Bostonian who was born in American land had an average net worth of $8. And then the average net worth of a Caribbean born black person was $12,000. And all of this is verifiable through the national asset scorecard for communities of color. It's the NASCC. And they basically collect a whole bunch of information on subpopulations in regards to race, ethnicity, and country of origin. So what they um, found was the reason for this disparity in net worth was for a lot of different reasons. They said that the people who had a higher net worth, namely the, you know, the whites, obviously, and the black, uh, the Caribbean born black people had retirement accounts and they owned homes and they had other liquid assets. They inherited a lot of money from their past generations. They had checking accounts, savings accounts, and they held securities. Um, and then what they didn't do was they didn't compile a lot of student loan debt or medical debt or credit card debt. And these were some of the reasons why the black, the black Bostonians who were born in America had a much significantly lower net worth than the Caribbean black Bostonians. And that always kind of brings us back to what culture is. And in my opinion, I believe culture, are, culture is the things we do say or believe without actually being explicitly told to do so. And if you think about it, um, the black Bostonians who were born in America have a distinctly different culture from the 
the Caribbean Black Bostonians. And that I think can be all attributed to culture, which is why we all have a different identity, even though we all look the same. Here's how we all reacted to the information. Uh, I'll just say from a personal standpoint, all of that is new information to me. Um, Don, you alluded to a little bit like what you learn in social studies uh, when you're when you're a kid, elementary school, high school, um, to where you start retaining this information. You have a very, a very different story uh, in your mind of kind of how we got here. And none of that, um, at least from my perspective or from my knowledge, had anything to do with um, really the Portuguese and the Spanish. So that's, again, tremendous information. I've learned something new today, which is, uh, which is incredible. Yeah, it's interesting because um, from my perspective, because, um, you know, within the black community, I think so many people, if you, even, even if you just look at black people, um, you, you kind of look at everyone as kind of the same. Like one of the things that was interesting to me was like the difference and not so much the difference, you know, between black and white, but between black and Carib black American or African-American Caribbean you know, African descent. And, and when you talk about those Boston statistics, I remember when we were in business school, we were doing, we, we were looking at how many black people or black men were in our class. And we were like, all right, so right now we're probably about 10% of the population. So that's like 90 of us, but there's like 60% women. So we're probably down to like 30. And then when you actually started peeling that back, like black, non-African, black, non-Caribbean, black with both black parents there were like three dudes and it was just like <laughs> wild to look at it it was just wow. wild to look at it that way when you look at like or if or 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 you know black and grew up in america i think there were like 12 of us like you look at it and i think again everyone's looking like okay we got you know we got 40 black dudes on campus it's like yeah but if you actually look at how many actually grew up in america and grew up in some of the, you know, in the environments that, you know, most black males in America are accustomed to, or not most, but a lot of black males in America are accustomed to, is just such a small number. The discussion takes an interesting turn, and we start to discuss identity. Yeah, I think it's interesting uh, how it broke down to where the American-born blacks versus the Caribbean-born blacks, that uh, difference in uh, actual net worth that that's astounding to me you know the fact that the percentage uh increase between if you were born here to be worth i think would you say eight dollars Abe? eight dollars eight dollars like twelve thousand mm -hmm. like and and i for me personally i just think it it can be attributed to the fact that like black Americans don't have any direct country, direct mm. country from where they come from. Whereas like, we know we came from Africa, but there's no real country pride. Whereas like, at least the Caribbean born, they have a country, like I'm from Jamaica. So, you know, I'm wow. representing the country. You know what I mean? So they have a little bit more pride. You know what I mean? As, and you see that like in, you know, white like white america you see like you know i'm from ireland i'm from england i'm from france so you have a pride for your country black born americans i feel like just don't have that pride because they don't have that knowledge of where they came from 
Damn, man. That's real. I, yeah. I never thought of it like that, but that has so much truth to it. Yeah, 100%. Like I, when people ask me where 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 I'm where, you know where my where my family's from, I say Virginia. You know, like I have more, you know, I don't have, you know, that connection to, you know, uh, another country. Like America is my country. Like and 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 I'll be honest, like like we talked about on our last call, I should know this, but I have no idea you know, and I can do the DNA and all that other stuff, but I actually have no idea where my family, you know, where my ancestors are from. Once we get, once it stops after Virginia, which is crazy to think. So, you know, I definitely think that's that source of pride is something you see with Caribbean Americans with, you know, um, I mean, uh, Caribbean African Americans and, or, or yeah, Caribbean Americans, but also, you know, um, you know, first and second or even third generation, um, uh, African Americans who, whose whose family have have origins outside of the states, and I just also think you know, you you call it. I think it was like, I forgot the exact term, but one of my friends, she her her um her family grew up in Nigeria, and she was saying like, you know, um, daughter, she was like, you know, um, you know, a child of an immigrant, and she's like, our value system is just different, or our grind or our hustle is just different than you know y'all and she was a friend she's like y'all that grew up in the states she's like it's just different she's like our parents are still not something other she's like because we feel like you know we have to work harder to get you know ahead and i was just like that's interesting because like as a black dude who grew up in america i feel like i have to work harder to get ahead so it's sort of like the value system isn't really different but it's interesting that even you can have two people same color skin you know if, if someone looked you know on the outside, they would just say these are just two black people who basically feel like they are they they've had two different approaches to life. You know what I mean? Um, mm. when, when when the struggle is essentially the same, at least from my perspective. I'm gonna use a, a athletic terminology. I'll just throw it out here and see what you guys think. But when you hit adversity, you don't rise to the occasion. You fall to your level of preparedness. So if your identity is your level of preparedness for what you're about to, uh, for the uh, for the adversity you're you're about to um, go up against. Uh, as G said, you know, if immigrants, if they if their identity is we just work hard, we we go through the we go through whatever it is that we need to do. We don't go around it. We're, we're going to find a way. If that's your identity, then that's what you that that's your level of preparedness. That's what your support system is versus blacks and black America as Holland alluded to, we don't necessarily have a place where we've come from, you know, uh, i.e. a country uh, of our own where we can say, well, we came here and this is what we do. We, yes, we've heard stories of us being black kings and black queens over in Africa, but we're not as connected to that as African immigrants coming to America. What are, what are y'all, y'all's thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's been, you know, for for someone who of, of African descent who was born in this country, you know, a lot of that documentation has kind of just been stripped from them, you know, and their whole identity has been stripped from them. Um, like yeah. the truth of the matter, the truth of the matter is when when the Spanish actually came to discover uh, Haiti, um, Christopher Columbus had a, hired someone to record his every word, right? Every thought he had that he said out loud was recorded on paper. 
So like his his legacy always lives on. So and like his whoever you know whoever descended from him knows exactly what he was thinking at every single moment. When these Africans were shipped from Africa to the New World, not one of them had a voice. Right? Not one of them had an identity. They were all given new names. So like every all of that was descriptive from every single one of them. It's just it's it's really unfair. Um, but I think the one thing you can try to do is, you know, as kind of Holland alluded to, is to kind of piecemeal this and pick the pieces to try to find what your identity actually is, you know? Yeah. And and I mean, I think it, it's all of a sudden, I think sometimes it's like, you know, identity is interesting because like you realize that you begin to take on the identity, not the identity, but like the um, behaviors of whoever you see as the dominant folks and, and you know, and, and either in, in your circle or how people tell you to behave. You know what I mean? So now all of a sudden, I think when you look at, um, and this is one of the things I think that persists within the black community, I think you, you know, for African-Americans who, you know, are descendants of slaves and who don't have that identity of, you know, what life is like or whose parents or grandparents don't have that identity of like what life was like outside of America. I think we begin to grow up conditioned with certain constraints that, you know, are byproducts of being black and in America. You know, people talk about like, you know, black men and, and our ability to protect black women and how during antebellum times we couldn't do so. And then you look at like absentee parents or, or the lack of stable relationships within the black community. Not saying that that's always the case because, you know, we, we're all people who all of us on the phone have, you know, who, who, who've had parents that are, are, are black and happily married. You know what I mean? But you know, that is something that when you look at, um, at uh, the black community at a micro, at, at a 30,000 foot level or at a, ma- micro, at a macro level, you see that happening. So, you know, you think about how many things that started during slavery times that now still persist within our community. And then you juxtapose that with, you know, our Caribbean and African brothers who come over here and don't have that level of, I don't know, mental handcuffs that have been handed down from generation to generation. Mm. I think there's definitely some things that mm. persist. I, I love handcuffs. that. Mental handcuffs. At times like this, it's good to check in with Rob. He tends to get lost in conversations because we all have such strong opinions. But what he poses is a really interesting thought that takes us into a discussion about culture. Um, I mean, really, I'm just taking in all this information, uh, to be honest with you. I guess how, I guess I would pose this, like, how do we change that mindset to where you know, talking about culture and I'm just, my mind keeps going to um, like that social social media term of do it for the culture. It's like people are projecting this, but they don't even know what their culture is or their culture is what they see um, or hear and emulate that. But you don't even, mm-hmm. you don't even know what that means and you're, and you're just, you're just repeating it. So it's like, how do well, you go? Go ahead, G. No, I was going to say it's interesting because I think when you vo- when you have a lack of culture, you end up creating a culture mm-hmm. that isn't really foundational into anything. Mm-hmm. So, like as Black Americans, you could argue that the you know since the Civil Rights Movement, um, you know, for a generation of Black kids who I would say are anywhere from you know forty and under or thirty or five and under, their culture is hip hop culture, right? And hip hop culture was something that was created by youths you know at the time that has continued to persist that now has you know become something that is 
you know, permeated to all parts of society. So people now assimilate black culture with hip hop culture. But like, I think if you were to talk to our grandparents and parents, they wouldn't, you know, associate black culture with hip hop culture like we do. But it's because we've never had a firm anchor of what our culture is. Like Italian culture is Italian culture. Jewish culture is Jewish culture. You know, Nigerian culture is Nigerian culture. Like, hey, like when we were at your wedding, like I was like, yo, the ceremony and the, the 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 amount of stuff that goes into you know just getting y'all down the aisle, I'm like, holy shit, this is crazy. <laughs> like, but that is culture that's been passed down from person to person to person. I mean, from generation to generation to generation. Like, you could do like like yeah, you might have a couple people that may still jump the broom, but like, there's a lot of people that like. You know, if you look at the way your parents are married and now look at the way your wedding's conducted, that shit ain't even the same. And that's all within the black, that's within two generations. Wow. You know what I mean? But like when you look at, you know, like I go to, I've been to several Jewish weddings. There's a, a way in which you, you know, tradition that has to get handed down. Like we, like I do feel like there's a lot of stuff that as African Americans, we are void of tradition because we don't really know, we don't, we, we've never had that firm anchor of, this is how we've always done it as a people. So like it really is left on I well this you know, this fifty year span of people, this is their tradition, and this thirty year span of people, this is their tradition. Where it's not like, look, I go to Jewish weddings and I love and I love it because I'm like, yo, this is dope because there's just so much stuff I know that has to get done. But then there's so much that like everybody from their mother, their father, their grandmother, everybody's been put on a seat and and you know raised up and, and up and down and, and, you know, like uh, both Proud and Groom have done that. But, like, I'll also talk to some of my friends from home and they're like, man, I ain't jumping the broom. I ain't doing that old stuff. Like, it's like, but that's, that was supposed to be our tradition. But, so, you know, given that it's not based in anything, it's like if you bought a, if, it's, it's like if you buy clothes and, and, and it don't have, or it's like if you buy something and it doesn't have anything except for, like, you know, it, it's like it doesn't stand the test of time, which is crazy. So there, there are a few things that, G, you mentioned that I want to rewind back to. But before we get to that, talking about Abe's wedding, I, I, I unfortunately, I wasn't able to make it. And I heard some, <laughs> some, some, some great stories from it, but I also saw an unbelievable video of uh, of, of G Diddy dancing. So first of all, DJ Khaled. So first rules of podcast, you, you shouldn't be talking about videos on an audio format. So oh. first of all, don't, don't be trying to uh, you know what? We're getting, well, here's the thing: we're we're, we're, bu- we're bucking the trend. You know, it's generally we're we're changing the trend. Nah, we'll we'll just, find a way just, to post it. We'll find a way to post it. We'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, put it in the show notes. Yeah, huh? like, go, <laughs> put it in the show notes. Y'all better not be putting out. Y'all better not be putting out forms of forms of you don't make me sue y'all. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, hey, so yo, G, on, on a serious gift, that gift might go viral, G. <laughs> chill, chill, chill. Pump your brakes, man. You have the six viral gift right there. Pump, you know? pump your, hey, so, your brakes. On, on 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 a serious note, um, G G mentioned the word many times. Uh, generation. I think generational. You know, it's it's uh, it, when when you look at cultures and change and uh, it's generational. I think we can agree to that. So G made the point that hip-hop culture became our culture because 
we, there wasn't anything passed down. But so, but our parents also they lived through the civil rights movement and Dr. King and Malcolm X and Farrakhan and you you name it, Black Panthers. And so at that time, there was a really strong Black culture around uh, fighting for rights or equal rights or whatever the case may be. So, what happened? You know, what what why didn't what our parents experience translate to us or why didn't we accept what our parents experienced as the way uh, we saw the world or the way it, it affected the way we approach it? Well, when you, when you talk about, as G alluded to, hip-hop culture, hip-hop culture is only about 40 years old. You know what I mean? Right, yeah, 100%. It. Started in the so, 80s. I think that it wasn't about the culture itself. It was about the way black people express themselves. So obviously we had hip hop that started in the eighties. Prior to that, you know, they had jazz, they had the blues. You know, you go back to like, you know, Louis Armstrong, you go back to uh, Harlem Renaissance, Langston Hughes, like it was all about a way of expressing themselves through all the struggle, you know, and mm. I think Abe spoke about, you know, having a voice, how, you know, Columbus had a voice. Black people never had a voice, so they did what they had to, to, to do to create a voice, and that was through the arts, you know, whether it be music or painting or, you know, whatever they could do to try to find that voice. And I think from generation to generation, it just, it just kept evolving. You know, because obviously, you know, I don't personally listen to jazz or blues. You know, I'll listen to it if I'm taking a, a class on, you know, historical, you know, background of music starting, you know, back in Louisiana and you know, listening to all the, you know, the uh, the heavy brass and the influence of that. But as far as that goes, I'm not coming home and sitting down, throwing on some, you know, some blues or some jazz. It's just not my thing. So I think as we move forward in time is hip hop is eventually going to evolve. And again, it goes back to just us not having that foundation. That's something that's going to be what we do forever, whether it be like an occasion where you have family over like, oh, okay, we're going to throw on hip hop music. No, it should be something that, okay, this is a meal that we've had going back a hundred years in our family. We don't have that per se. Like where, you know, Italians might, yo, this is the type of pasta or sauce that my grandmother made. I feel like, you know, blacks don't really have, you might have a couple things here and there, but the overall is not something that gets really passed down and it's very, it's very widely missed. I mean, I'll I tell you what it is, it's them damn chitlins. Every time, every holiday, <laughs> black folks always be making them damn what? chitlins. What? Where does that come from? <laughs> What you mean where to come from? How I said we ain't got a meal to pass down. Yeah, our parents passed down them damn chitlins and I ain't eating them shits. Wow. Yo, yo, you are the most Clarence Biggums dude I've ever met in my life. Son. Come on. Black... Do, do you eat chitlins? Do you eat chitlins? I don't now, but I have in my life. Yeah, I never used to eat those chewy shits. <laughs> how, how you know they chewy? You know they chewy. Because I took uh, when I was a kid, my my dad made me take a bite, and I never took a bite again. <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, hey, hey you chitlins? All all the soul food cookers listening to this, we apologize. So sorry. <laughs> sorry for oh, what? Did you did you just ask a, did you just ask a Muslim 
if the Yo, you are. Yo, you are. The hey, most... listen. I've seen Yo. A B bacon before. No, you have not, actually. Yeah. You have not. I've seen you, you eat by not. accident and then watch your mouth drop. Like, wait. This, <laughs> this, this, this had bacon, bacon in it? Yeah, it had bacon in it, Dave. Oh. Pretty good. All right. No, so. <laughs> Oh my gosh! What do I do? What do yeah. we do? But now, what? 